Welcome to this week's episode of Strategy and Sourdough. Uh, today, Honor and I will be talking about brainstorming and how to come up with creative solutions to any problems from marketing to product roadmaps to business problems. This episode is entirely going to be on you because I'm not a fan of sitting in a room with other people and coming up with ideas. So why don't well, you get started and see where it takes us? Well, first of all, um, in today's landscape, we, we can't really sit around a room anyway uh, and come up That's with ideas. True. I think it's not socially acceptable in today's time. So it's about time we think about better ways to do um, workshops and, and brainstorming and all that kind of stuff. But I think before we get to any of the formats, I think there's one very, very important thing to keep in mind with any creative problem solving, and that is questioning your assumptions. I think really one of the biggest things is when you work on something, whether it's a company or a product or you're a product marketing manager or your founder, the deeper you get into something, the, the more your, your sort of vision blurs into solutions becoming all the same. Mm. And I think that the whole premise and the whole point of brainstorming, rather than just sitting around coming up with ideas, is actually coming up with different ways for us to let go of our assumptions and let go of the things that we intuitively as humans come to find as such ingrained things in our industry or our company that it's sometimes hard for us to think outside of those things. And that is by far for me the most important thing to solve in any kind of brainstorming sessions is how do we do exactly that. This is interesting. In the last session, it might be an interesting segue. In the last session, you had mentioned that once you know what your strategy is and what problem you want to solve, especially when it comes to coming up with creative ideas to solve the problem, you specifically said, try not to prescribe what the solution is going to be. Let people exercise their creativity to come up with that solution. So in the context of a startup, and once you have designed your strategy, how do you then make that transition into getting into creative problem solving? Where do you start? Like, how do you approach and what role do the existing assumptions? Yeah, I think the research and everything we know today are always going to be a really, really interesting and important part of actually the problem solving process, but not for solving the problem necessarily. It's actually to uncovering the assumptions that are and exist. So it is, of course, very important for us to know how do we get to a certain point? How does the problem exist? What are the possible answers and outcomes that are right in front of us? But I think we spoke about this in our previous episode. I can't even count the amount of times that you know you and I have both been advising company founders, for example, and you kind of point out something that to us as outsiders, because we're, we haven't been thinking about the same problems you know, day in, day out for such a long time for that particular company. Sometimes some of those answers are just right in front of us because we, by design, think about things more laterally or differently, not having been exposed to the company for long. And that's exactly what I mean, you know, bringing all of those assumptions and bringing all the research and bringing everything into the mix is really important. But sometimes it's the outside perspective that really helps you you get get things kickstarted. And, you know, you have to know the assumptions before you can let go of those assumptions. And that's really the important part. And whether you're bringing an outside consultant, whether you bring in an outside creative or whether you actually design a brainstorming session that helps existing staff members let go of those assumptions. Those are both equally valid routes, in my personal opinion, to get things going and get some more creative problem solving going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example? Yeah. I think you had mentioned getting teachers to use a education software, for example, or we talked about uh, using Excel spreadsheets in, instead of a CRM software. 
So if you've identified that there's inefficiency in how small businesses handle their customer relationship data, for example, and your creative problem solving starts with the assumptions that this is a problem that needs to be solved. Yeah, exactly. And actually, one really important point related to that is that not all assumptions are true. Mm. There's a lot of assumptions out there that come with the industry, and there's sometimes not really a reason for that. I mean, it's not the best example out there, but like if we use the, the Excel sheet CRM example, you know, if the assumption in the industry was that Excel sheet is the only place to keep CRM, then we wouldn't think about any other ways to do it. But there's a thousand other ways to actually do that. And that's the whole purpose of these brainstorming, creative problem-solving exercises is start thinking laterally. Mm -hmm. What might be a completely unrelated industry or company that might be solving not the same problem necessarily, but a similar problem in completely other unrelated ways that, again, move us away from those assumptions that exist, that are true or not, and then move us into thinking about very, very differently on how how we could solve um, everything. I mean, if you think about something like taxi services, I mean, the, before things like Uber existed, you know, the underlying assumption was that you need a taxi to move around. The underlying assumption was definitely not that you could just rent some random person's time and car for a moment through an application to move from point A to point B. That's, that's an assumption that existed for decades, right? Mm-hmm. And it took a company that basically challenged the need for, for, for that particular mode of transport and created a new way to do that. And I, I'm fully aware that the Uber and Airbnb examples are always going to be the cliche ones, but those are just easy to use because, you know, whether you're working on education or CRM software, every industry will have assumptions. This is how the business is done, and this is why it's done this way. But I just fundamentally don't think that those assumptions are often true. They're just assumptions that have become norm for either your company or your industry. And I think solving problems in a way that questions those things is going to be very, very powerful in coming up with something novel and something interesting. Let's explore that a little bit and maybe speculate on the foundation for these ideas. Where do these ideas come from? Do you look at an industry and say, there's got to be a better way than waiting for a taxi in the rain, and therefore you somehow come up with that idea of something like Uber? Or you look at a different kind of problem, which is, why are all these cars sitting in a car park? And there must be a way to monetize this, and there must be an opportunity here. Again, we are just speculating here, but where do these ideas come from? There's ways for us to start thinking, you know, going back to what you fundamentally dislike, which is the sitting around, <laughs> around the room and coming up with ideas randomly. Um, let's attempt to put some structure into that. I mean, now it's official. Um, it makes people sick. That's why. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So we shouldn't necessarily be advocating for this, but you can do this online. You can use your favorite video conferencing tool and whiteboarding tools online to also do this, which is interesting. But there's a few different things. And these some of these exercises may sound really, you know, even childish sometimes, but I think it's very useful to force people to think differently. Mm-hmm. So there's a few different formats. I think all creative agencies, all creative companies will have their own methodology on how to start doing this. I mean, I've been involved in IDO workshops and frog workshops, and they all do them differently. And I'm not going to expose people into any other proprietary ways that, that these companies would do their own workshops and their thinking. But there's a few things that are in common, I think. Mm-hmm. One is this notion of forced connections. So again, if we work in an industry that has underlying really strong assumptions about how business is done, how creativity is done, and how product features and things like that would work, force connections are really, really interesting. And you can do this in multiple ways. Either you bring items that are completely unrelated 
to your business into the workshop room, whether it's a virtual or physical room, and just have different team members that come from different parts of the business outside, inside the business, marketing, sales, product, you know, UX, and really force people to take an object completely unrelated and explain how this could be used to change your business. Hmm. And again, some of these things may sound like they're really childish exercises, but you'd be surprised when you start shifting gears for your brain to think completely differently. Some really, really interesting ideas start happening. So forced connections is one thing. The other thing is this notion of wishing. So throwing away all constraints, technical, financial, resource, uh, we, we don't have to have any other resources to make some of this happen now. But you know this exercise of like, I wish I had something uh, for our business. So if you're a marketing manager, like I wish I was able to do this type of marketing, or if you're a product manager, like I wish our app would do this. And when you really start throwing wishes on the board, there are things in there that you can start elaborating on because often the creative problem solving, all it needs is a spark. And the reason why it's often so productive to be in the same room is when you have marketers and UX and product and all these kinds of different people who think about problems very, very differently. Often one spark on the wall can get someone else to build on it. And then, hey, actually, you know what? This is not such a distant wish after all. You know, If we did it this way from a technology perspective, we can make it happen in our next release, for example. So these are all sort of very, very useful ways to look at this. I really like these uh, ideas, especially forced connections. It reminds me of a book. I think it was called um, How to Be More Interesting by Edward Bono. And it talks about creativity, essentially. And in it, I remember an exercise that was asking the question, what's interesting about the frog? And the whole point of this exercise was to force you to think that a frog is green and it jumps in. And when you think about it, you can come up with at least 15 different things that are interesting about frogs that in some cultures, they eat their legs, for example, or they use their super long tongues to catch flies. And I really like the exercise of forcing connections that are beyond what immediately comes to your mind. For the exercises that you mentioned, there's one thing that I think we are not addressing, which is trust between people in the room. Because yes. we're all people and nobody wants to be seen as the one who came up with silly ideas. So how do you break down those barriers or personal fear that their ideas will be ridiculed or too silly? And how do you get people to participate in an environment? Yeah, that's a really, really good point, actually. And there, I mean, certain cultures, this is more prominent than in others where you might not want to you know, bring up an idea especially around your peers or your superiors in some organizations that still believe in hierarchies and things. There's two things that I think are important. One is setting the house rules, right? So setting the rules and leading by example. So perhaps having the more senior team members go first and getting people just really going that way. But I also believe in the old school icebreakers. Mm -hmm. One thing that builds trust is getting to know people better. There's no, no better way to build trust early on. So there's an exercise that I use all the time, which I absolutely love. It's called Once Upon a Time in Mexico. I can't remember where I found it from, but basically when you have a workshop group of people that may not know each other very well, you open it up to the room and basically have two people as a team. And when, when those people meet, they have to be people who you haven't worked with in the past. So if you have often you know, been in workshops that have agency, marketer, business, sales, all, all these different people. So you have to pick somebody who you never met before. And it's as simple as this. You give everybody one minute. You basically imagine that the two of you had a vacation together in Mexico. And you have to figure out what you did in Mexico together. 
it's such a random exercise and nobody can have the answers to that. It's, it's just every, it comes as a surprise every single time. But then you have to kind of very quickly start talking about, all right, so what do you like? What do I like? You know, what, what could have we done together? Did we go diving or did we go to a bar or what did we eat? And then every group has to share with everybody in the workshop and what they did. And again, these are sort of these silly kind of exercises, but they're, it's, it's, it's a very sort of good way to, to get going. There's many, many others. I've worked with really good workshop uh, facilitators who have these icebreakers, and they are very, very effective in getting everyone going, relaxing everyone, getting your brain immediately right out of the gates to think more creatively. So I think that's a good way to, to get th- that trust going. So uh, once we start coming up with ideas, what's next? How do we move forward from there? Let's say we have a whole bunch of ideas on the wall. Yeah, well, I think the capturing of ideas is really, really important. And the old school way of capturing ideas is that like, you can do it as lo-fi as just having post-it notes. And you know, often you want to narrow down some of the ideas that are the most popular. So different voting techniques, you know, putting different stickers on post-it notes to vote for the ideas that should go forward and all that kind of stuff. And there's two schools of thought for voting, you know, partly because the group think will will Human nature is that the post-it notes that already preconceived have more votes will, will get the rest of the votes, I personally believe. So I'm not personally a huge fan of the voting systems. But also, if you think about things today, there's some very effective digital tools to capture ideas and start prioritizing them in a smaller group later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Trello, for example, you, know, you start a Trello board for an ideation session and you have someone run that. You know, if you're in a physical space, you have that up on a projector, so it's kind of constantly up to date. There's a better way to you know, classify and categorize and, and follow up on these ideas as well. Uh, that's one way to do it. If you're doing things absolutely remotely, uh, one of the tools that we've used lately is Miro. So Miro is essentially a, a digital sort of virtual whiteboarding tool where you can have multiple people contributing to ideas at the same time and save those ideas and stuff like that. So I think it's the, the sort of capturing and classifying of ideas. And this is where the role of the workshop facilitator becomes really, really powerful because not only should the, the facilitator run the um, icebreaker sessions, they should also run all the different exercises to come up with ideas, whether they're the forced connections or wishing exercises. But also the person running the show also needs to be the one driving conversations forward on what kinds of ideas we want to take and move on because mm-hmm. there's no point in running a workshop that doesn't lead into any actions. So I think the capturing of actions is super important. That's where I have some questions on the voting and the prioritization of these ideas, because there needs to be an established basis on which ideas are going to make the cut eventually. How do you evaluate the ideas? And I think voting and decision by committee is not necessarily the best way, because the person with the most influence is probably get the highest uh, value. I also feel this is a much bigger question than because it's a political question in nature, but what's the best way to establish those Uh, guardrails in place even before you start a session so you know how you're going to evaluate the effectiveness of those ideas. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to some of the things we spoke about earlier around having a really clear idea on the problems that we need to solve. And perhaps this is where a lot of the the research might come into play. So you can look at it a couple of different ways. One is when you're setting up the brainstorming session, you know, what is the opportunity that we're trying to capture? So It could be that we've done our research, we've done our homework, we've spoken to customers, and we can see a huge business opportunity in this particular area. We're just not sure how we're going to capture it. So you could do it opportunity first. Mm -hmm. So pre-identified opportunity and then 
have a couple of different criteria of, you know, does the idea that we've come up with actually ladder up to that opportunity? Does it help us capture it or move us in that direction in some particular way? But doesn't it take a very creative mind to see that connection? Because if that was the case, most rational people wouldn't be able to see the Cadbury gorilla idea that you mentioned is a great idea because the straightforward thinking would be like, how is that going to help us improve our sales? Yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily here talking about sort of creative marketing ideas or campaign ideas. I'm actually talking about just in general, you know, how to use creativity for problem solving. Mm -hmm. And in those particular cases, it's either an opportunity area or a problem area that you're kind of working towards. And then you may have a few different guardrails on, you know, for example, this particular problem has to be solved digitally in our app. So how do we solve that then? You know, it could be either a product feature or a user experience change or something like that. And then it helps you sort of categorize and prioritize some of those ideas. But I think it's a whole different ball game when we start thinking about how to judge creative ideas when it comes to advertising and marketing, actually, because mm -hmm. that's what we spoke about in our last episode. I think it's, it's really, really important in that particular case to sometimes take the leap and trust the creative people that you've hired to, to do the creative ideas and see where things land. I agree with you in terms of voting process. I mean, I'm a fan personally on, on crowdsourcing ideas, if you want to think about that way. So having people in the same setting who can build off other people's ideas and contributing to a starting point of problem solving ideas. And then from there, you need a small group of people who can see the ideas for their potential and then help prioritize what to take into next steps and actions. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, because it sounds to me this is like a asynchronous way of doing exactly the same uh, creative process. And I also believe sometimes the most creative ideas are generated when you are alone and bored. So isn't that be a better way to come up with creative ideas when people go into their own little corners and try to come up with their own unique ideas and let those ideas sit and marinate for a little while before they share those ideas. Wouldn't that lead to better rather than throwing the first thing that comes into your head on the wall and see if it works? Yeah, I mean, often a lot of these exercises that I spoke about earlier are actually run in small groups within the brainstorming session anyway. Mm -hmm. So whether you're doing that as a breakout room on a video platform or whether you're doing it as sort of physical breakout rooms, right? That's exactly how it kind of works. I mean, you often won't have people necessarily individually contributing, although there are different formats that I've used for that as well. But, you know, that's exactly how it typically is. You use one of these formats to try and get interesting ideas, but you have people in groups of two or three or sometimes alone thinking about what could, could make sense. And then you present everything back and the best ideas go forward into a travel board or something like that. So I, I fundamentally believe in that. There's a super interesting format. I have to give credits to um, a gentleman by the name of Russ Tucker. He works at TBWA in Sydney, and he's got this format called Ninja Creativity, which I really liked. I love the sound of it. I know. It's all of its simplicity. It's really all about just giving people as little time as possible to provide you an idea. So you have lots of smart people. You know exactly what you're solving for, and you literally give people like 20 seconds. First ideas, first five ideas that come to mind, write them down, whatever they are, and then you share, and then you keep repeating that. It's actually a super interesting way of, of generating thought starters. And you can do that individually, as you've rightly pointed out. But it's so, sort of a, this, this top of mind awareness, top of mind ideas, without discounting any of them to be crazy or, or stupid ideas. A lot of them probably will be, but there's always going to be a couple of really good ones in the mix that you want to keep and keep building on. 
I love it. And it reminds me of an exercise that I learned from Amazon and try to incorporate more in my projects, which is uh, writing a press release. Whether it's a new startup or a product or even a feature within your existing product, start by writing that press release that's going to go out and everybody will read on the day that you decide to launch it. And what will it say? And it really forces you to uh, think what's interesting about the thing that you are building. And I find it to be a very useful exercise. Yeah, that's really good, actually. And often I've seen it work on creative ideas as well. If you have a creative campaign idea, if you have a creative innovation idea, often reimagining what the publications would write about it, even at a headline level, Mm -hmm. is sometimes a good way to kind of classify and whether you could see whether you could see that headline next to a major publication logo, for example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's just an interesting way to try and imagine what the future would look like after that innovation or that creative idea sees the light of day. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to that topic on the creativity for a little bit. What would you advise to people who are conducting these workshops or facilitating? What's the best way to develop the skills so that you'll be able to spot great ideas compared to mediocre ideas? How do you get better at spotting great ideas? Well, I think this is one of these things, again, where practice makes perfect. You have to run a lot of these sessions to start really identifying uh, what it looks like. But you don't always have to do it alone either, right? So there's always going to be somebody in that workshop who you can kind of partner up with to co-run one, for example. So maybe co-run a brainstorming session within your startup and do it with two different people who perhaps come from different backgrounds within the company. So let's say you're a relatively early stage company, you're trying to ideate your product roadmap and how do we bring something to market which doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Using some of the tips that we've given today, co-running that workshop with somebody else, for example, just gives the onus for, for a couple of people to start identifying some of those ideas. And then it really just becomes a matter of practice. There are some startups out there who use formats like this every week. So for, for your growth ideas, for example, you come up with ideas every week and then you implement the ones that you can see are, are the best. The other thing, which is kind of more aligned to these different growth hacking books, which I know you love, um, there there are different scoring objection your honor <laughs> overruled but uh, there are different scoring systems that you can build so these scoring systems can take various things into consideration so you usually look at it from a perspective of desirability or feasibility or scope or investment required or th- different things i think you also have one of these were um, criteria that you use on some of your consulting pieces but that's one way for you to look at, okay, we have a strict criteria, uh, you know, through which we, we identify whether something goes forward. And that scoring system can be as simple as doing scores from one to five on all the criterias and having multiple team members do that. And your average score will give you some indication of whether people think it's a, it's, it's, it's a priority or not. Mm-hmm. It's one of the books that I had read on growth hacking, not that I'm advocating growth hacking at all. It was called Traction and it essentially advocates what they call it is a bullseye framework. And it's a good framework. It starts by finding the ideas that has the path of least resistance to start with in order to grow your company and now work your way outwards bigger and more expensive and more costly ideas. And a gentleman by the name of Josh Pickford has a very successful startup called Bear Metrics that he actually very recently sold his company. He came up with a spreadsheet that helps prioritize these ideas when it comes to growth. And his method was evaluating the ideas on the basis of cost, effort, and impact. 
And at different stages of your startup, one uh, criteria might be more important than the other. For example, in the early days, you might not have a lot of money, but you might have time and you might put your own effort into making it a success. Whereas at the later stages of company, you might have a lot more resources, money or people to throw at the problem. So your perspective on how to evaluate those ideas might be very different. I'll share that in the show notes uh, to the spreadsheets that he put together. I find it yeah. as a starting point for how to think about growth. So basically, you can change the weightage of the different criteria exactly. within the sheet, right? Depending on what's important to you at that moment in time. I like that a lot. That's really good. Well, this was a very useful episode. Thank you, Mr. Thomas. Thank you very much, Honor. I think just to summarize what we've spoken about today, So the starting point for any creative problem-solving brainstorming sessions really is questioning the assumptions that may exist in your company or your industry. So trying to identify those assumptions so that you can really leave them aside in coming up with these creative ideas. And then often as you're in the session, it's important to have a session host or somebody to run the brainstorms who have studied some of these exercises that may be helpful in coming up with new ideas. So starting with an icebreaker session, perhaps using some of the ones that we've spoken about today to build trust and get people to open up to sharing a lot of these ideas in the sessions themselves. Then there are different exercises like forced connections or wishing or different what-if exercises that you can really run to come up with ideas that you may not have come up otherwise. Then it's important to capture those ideas somewhere. So whether it's a Trello board or a more conventional post-it note system, capturing those ideas are really important. And then perhaps either using a small group of people, using a voting system or using a scoring system, depending on what each company will be most comfortable with, is a very effective way to push some of those ideas forward. Um, and then, of course, you know, creativity doesn't always often happen in committees. So leaving some room for individual brilliance and individual ideas can also be just as effective in getting to those creative problems to be solved. So I think those are really good places to start and perhaps we can really start thinking about in our next episode what the mix of sort of internal teams for this type of stuff versus the external teams that you might want to be consulting with could be for Mm -hmm. startups. Sounds great. Let's do that. Excellent. Well, thank you for today's session, Honor. Pleasure as always. Likewise. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Strategy and Sourdough. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us out, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. 